It's a new year. Welcome back to High School History Recap. And to join me for my first episode in 2021, Kelly Chase. She's the host of the Detective Podcast. It's a podcast with a definite plot twist. It's history out of the textbook box, if you want. So Kelly is a teacher, she's a musician, a poet, a podcaster, and the part I like specifically, detective. What I appreciate about Kelly's podcast is that it really fosters, develops critical thinking without the drag or boredom. Kelly, welcome to High School History Recap. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be on the season premiere of season three of High School History Recap. It's definitely my pleasure. So uh, <laughs> you are in Australia, right? Yes. Where specifically? I'm on the Gold Coast, which is on the East Coast in the state of Queensland. Um, and it's, I don't know, I think beaches, hence the name the Gold Coast. <laughs> All right. So Kelly, uh, well, let me call you Mrs. Chase then. <laughs> How did you get onto the case? Why did the history teacher opt to venture into podcasts? Well, I've been an absolute long time listener of podcasts. I love them. I learn so much from podcasts. And because I'm a busy mum, wife, teacher, I've got all the things going on, pet mum as well, um, <laughs> I love listening to podcasts and learning that way. And I have always used little snippets in the classroom to help my students with some content, extra content, break it up a little bit. But often I find that with podcasts that are out there, especially history ones, they're quite complex for young learners who might be somewhere between 12 and maybe 17. So they don't have that assumed general knowledge that the podcast hosts are kind of expecting. And they also have quite complex vocabulary that the students don't really understand and it might wash over them. Another issue that I have with them is that they're 45 minutes long and that is just way too long for a class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely guilty of that. I think my longest one is an hour and a half and, and that was on essay writing. So. <laughs> yeah, but for 14-year-olds, you want something, you know, that's hovering around the 10-minute mark that you can then talk about as a teacher and do activities and you're not sort of wasting a whole lesson just sit and listen to a podcast 14 year olds because that is not going to happen and you know exactly how to spice it up why did you decide to to call your podcast the history detective or history detective what do you think history and detective work have in common well, I had the name in mind for a long time. I've been sort of stewing over this idea of starting a podcast for like probably over two years. So I came up with that idea of history detective because there's a couple of things that detectives and historians have in common. One is examining evidence. A detective has like two or more or three or four accounts of the same crime and what they do is they examine that evidence and they form a hypothesis about what happened. What a historian does is they look into an event with a range of sources, with evidence from different perspectives and they form a hypothesis so it's exactly the same process. They have to wade through the bias. They have to look at perspectives and motives and why that person's saying something something and then try and get to the truth. But also detectives corroborate. They corroborate witnesses and historians corroborate sources. And finally, I think 
critical thinking. You know, a detective has to pay meticulous attention to detail and they have to consider the ethics of the situation and that's exactly what a historian has to do. And then finally, the last step is a detective has to communicate their findings and that is also what a historian has to do. You have to be able to try and convince people that your theory is correct. I guess both of them are trying to prove what happened beyond reasonable doubt. It's almost as if you then look at the history as almost like a crime scene, you know, and, and you approach it as such. To, you examine the evidence, you collect it, um, uh, and like you say, you collaborate and you communicate ultimately. But something that I'm very passionate about is specifically what you mentioned there, developing critical thinking skills. And, well, let's call it the detective mindset. And how relevant it is today, you know, to counter some of the misinformation and some of the conspiracy theories out there. And I mean, there are so many. So what would you say is the best way to to develop this type of mindset in our learners? I think one of the key skills that we look at in history is reliability of sources. And there's a skill that there's a couple of YouTubes about it. One is by the Stanford History Education Group, which I know that you like as well. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're great, aren't they? (laughs) And another is by what's in conjunction with Crash Course on YouTube. And that's a concept of lateral thinking. So instead of the kids scrolling up and down, and that's all they do, What they do is they have to take a sidestep and see who is behind the information. So you find out who exactly that author is. What is the company that they work for? Are they trying to push the company's agenda? Do they have a business agenda? Do they have some kind of political affiliations that they're trying to push that agenda? So I think it's really important to find out who exactly is behind that source. Like fostering those skills is so important, especially through senior. Behind every text, there is a person with a motive. And um, one of the key things we need to teach our learners is exactly to, to be able to identify that. And it doesn't come naturally to kids. They have to learn it. They have to work hard. They have to practice. And we as teachers have to model and show them. I think I was listening to one of your podcasts about the Industrial Revolution where you were looking at primary sources and the doctors, the two different perspectives of the doctors you were talking about. One of them was presumably paid by the factory owner. So his testimony was very different to the other testimony. So looking at that and as we go through sources and just show them a source in class, we really go lateral on it and say, hey, this is who the author is. This is their perspective. This is why they're doing it and sort of read sideways rather than just up and down. Lateral reading. Yeah. And just move away from that mindset of click on the first link. Believe everything you read because it's on the internet. The Stanford History Education Group, they actually do a, what they call it, a civic online reasoning course as well. There's a couple of lesson plans that history teachers can actually use as well to just get them to read more laterally when they look for information online. I would like to ask you what strategies you might use to try and develop the critical or history detective mindset. Maybe just back on the on the whole thing of conspiracy theories you know and um, I don't know if if you've ever came across this in your classrooms. Even something, we do, for example, the space race, right? When we do the Cold War. 
and we do the moon landing. And when we get to the moon landing, there are some that would say, but the moon landing never happened. And I think what we've seen in 2020 is really a proliferation of conspiracy theories. You know, the most radical being people denying the existence of, of COVID altogether. For others, it was no more than a common cold. Some blamed powerful individuals. Some blamed the rollout of 5G technology. And if you now think about it, basically, it's just a spin-off of a very long-running fear about mind control experiments and all of that. Uh, so I looked into this a bit, and I read an article in The Conversation, and the two professors that wrote it said that conspiracy theories have some common features. It seems like we have this powerful drive for causal understanding. We want to know who did it. It's as if, you know, we settle for just about any explanation well before we've even seen or read all the relevant information because we we just can't tolerate uncertainty and it seems we prefer to blame a threat on on agents there's there's always someone behind it someone had to do it right so this shows a lot of distrust for governments for science scientists the media even medical authorities and often so people associate with certain groups and obviously sometimes a conspiracy theory is central to a group's identity and and i was wondering or thinking that finding causal explanations is really central to the study of history we do the who did what and when we, we do the events but we also ask the question of so why did this happen to uncover motive like you said and in the class i really like to focus on that question of why and then just expose my learners to different perspectives like you said you know, I don't know if you've read the book Factfulness. No, I haven't. They say there's a couple of almost like instincts we we have in our thinking. And it, it can obviously be problematic if we, we give into these instincts. And the one is what they call the single perspective instinct. And if you have a single perspective, it can really limit our imagination. So I do something called history puzzles in the class where I'll take an event and I'll give them piece of the puzzle, I'll give them a source on it that will say one thing, and then I will take another source that will say something different, and then we'll really go into determining, okay, so what what is the one saying, how does it differ from the other one, which is more reliable, why do we think it's more reliable, so it really becomes an investigation and and that's what I like about your podcast you you also look at something in the past, you take an event. And you've got a very unique angle to get to, you know, so what's the real story? And um, that's why I think this whole idea of a detective mindset is, is something really valuable that we can use in, in the history class. Yeah, it is It is really all about reliability, isn't it, of those sources <laughs> and evaluating them. Last year, you solved eight big cases in your podcast episodes and it ranged from the Sepoy Rebellion to the Black Death in Australia. So I, I want to ask you, which case was the most difficult to solve first of all and then which one surprised you the most? Well, in terms of most difficult, I would say 
case number four, which was the Maralinga nuclear testing in the Australian desert in the 1950s by the British government. A couple of issues with that is getting reliable sources because it was the Cold War and there was so much secrecy, there's censorship, and you don't really get a sense of how in the sources, in the newspapers, they're so flippant and blasé about the nuclear testing. You don't get a sense of how the people actually felt about the nuclear testing. And another issue with that is because we've got a really long history of colonial violence against the Aboriginal Australians. It's really hard to get perspectives from Aboriginal people from that actual time because people weren't bothering to take their perspective. They were putting them into missions and just pushing them off the land. I feel like the Aboriginal voices are silenced. And it wasn't until the 1980s that they started to speak up and talk about land rights, especially in Maralinga. I can feel that you this is close to your heart. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I listen to your podcast, I also... Yeah. Um, see that you you want to uncover those silences almost like the gaps in the historical record yeah well I've got another one coming up at the moment which is the native mounted police that's episode two so I'm looking at a similar issue with the colonization of Australia but in terms of surprising I'm going to say case number six which was looking at the women of the Viet Cong the Perfume River Squad and Hanoi Hannah because you know, I thought, oh, I'll kick it old school. I'll just go to the library. We've got a ton of books on the Vietnam War. I'll just go in there and get some stories about women in Vietnam. It'll be easy to research. And I went and I borrowed out a whole bunch of books and there was nothing on women. There was maybe one or two sentences. And I was just surprised that that perspective was also silenced. There's a statistic in Australia that only 5% of statues in Australia are women. And there's apparently more statues of animals in Australia than there are of women. So, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so I fear that the textbooks have that similar imbalance that they're telling a particular perspective, but they're not telling the other side, like maybe the female perspective or the Indigenous perspective perspective as much as they should be so you know that was very surprising I was also surprised that women couldn't fight in Australian armies in combat roles until 2013. That's very recent. I know and I'm doing two episodes this season where I'm talking about Russian women fighting in the army and that was in World War (laughs) One and World War Two. We did an episode on on the night witches of you know women that joined the well that flew for the for the Russian Air Force and really terrorized the Germans. So yeah, <laughs> you're really doing very, very valuable work, Kelly. And, and another very interesting fact about you is that you actually, you first write a song before you solve a case. So how, how important is music in your work as a, as a history detective? Um, is it for inspiration? Why do you write the music? Well, I love to use music in the classroom. I find that it really engages students. And I have this big database list of songs that I could use with all the topics that I teach. And sometimes, you know, some topics like the civil rights movement, they just have a plethora of songs. You could listen to one every at the beginning of every lesson and there's a never-ending cache of songs and same with the Vietnam War and protest songs but with some of the obscure topics that I teach you know like 
a shogunate nun in Japan. <laughs> There's not a song about that. So I like to use them. I like to sometimes just get kids to focus at the beginning of the lesson or sometimes we'll do a deep dive analysis. But there's no songs about the topics that I teach. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll just write songs. But also it's good to show the kids that history can be an absolute inspiration for movies. Think of all of the amazing historical movies, historical novels, historical fiction, songs, artwork. Creativity comes from inspiration from some events. But I always write the songs first because I'm hyper-organised. <laughs> Well, I won't tell. I won't tell everyone, but I'm, I can testify to that. <laughs> you know, I just don't want to write an episode and then not have a song for it, and then stress myself out. So I've written all of the songs for season two. I've got them all recorded, and now I can write the episodes. But what that really does is. I can, when I'm writing the episode, because I do a lot more research, when I'm writing them up, I might use primary sources like diaries, like Rosa Parks's diary or in the next series, Rosa Shanina's diaries. Then I write the song. And then when I'm doing further episodes and writing the research, I can have little hints of what the lyrics are going to be about. So it's almost foreshadowing in the episode of what's going to be in the song. I mean, teachers don't have to listen to the song. That's just my sort of indulgence of being a creative. They can stop it at 10 minutes. <laughs> no, the songs are, I think, vital. It's crucial um, just to get a sense of what I've picked up from your uh, songs is specifically maybe what, what history can bring to the table when it solves a mystery is almost the heart, you know, the, the ethics. Um, because in your songs, you, you point out some of the moral issues that's related to the investigation you've done. And I like to give voice to those people who have been silenced. Well, on that, Kelly, on that, what about improvising a song for us? <laughs> well, I... <laughs> Where's your guitar? <laughs> I tell you what, it's just behind me, but it takes a lot of editing magic to make those songs happen. <laughs> Maybe you can have a little listen to one of my theme songs. Down through the rabbit hole Mystery so Curiosity Hello. The reason I'm asking for a song is because there's, a, there's actually a, a case that I want to solve with you. And that is, being a history teacher yourself, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges facing history teachers today? I think one of the biggest issues that I have is when senior becomes an elective, the small class sizes is a really big issue. I think students often feel pressured into taking the sciences. You often hear on, you know, people talking in media or social media, or all those places saying, oh, why didn't we learn that in school? Well, often we do learn it in school. It's just that we're doing it in a history class and not many people prioritise that as a subject. And possibly... The issue is that the name history, science, is generally people have that mindset that you're looking to the future, whereas history, they're like, oh, we're looking to the past. Let's not worry about that. Let's look forward. But they fail to see the importance that the skills that kids learn in history are so important in a modern context, like we were talking about the assessing the reliability of 
website. That is an absolutely a core history skill. I guess also there's a whole lot of current issues that exist now, today, Black Lives Matter and so on, that stem from the past. And you can't really get a full understanding of what's going on now if you don't really look back at that intergenerational trauma or other things that have happened to make this event now. I think it should be compulsory for politicians to study history. So they're not just sticking Band-Aids on, but they're thinking of real solutions to issues that we are experiencing now. I think in history, we try and show connections to the present and make it really engaging. I mean, it's still really difficult to get students. I, I try really hard to make history engaging. And, and, then... and um, you're doing a brilliant job at it. <laughs> but still also there's issues such as timetabling as well. So if my class, I'm in a quite a small school and if my class is timetabled at the same time as another science kind of based class, sometimes parents will pressure their kids into choosing science as an elective with that oh science for the future mindset going on not that there's anything wrong with science but it's still I think there's a lot of people missing out on some fantastic learning I love history it's so important but I'd really like to throw this one back to you as well do you have any sort of strategies or solutions that you use or do you have that issue in South Africa well there's a similar issue there's definitely a focus on STEM and it's at the expense of specifically history. My problem with that is, you know, if students don't know history, they they don't really get to appreciate how we've grown as humanity. You know, and yes, so I would imagine a solution is that we need to start breaking down barriers between disciplines. You know, in a sense, make science more like history and history more like science. <laughs> and a good example of this um, is, is big history. I don't know how familiar you, you are with big history. No, I've heard you talk about it on your podcast, but I'm not, I'm not hugely familiar. But yeah, it's really interesting. Another quality or characteristic history brings to the table is this the power of the subject to tell a story systematically so the systematic storytelling technique and it can actually connect us more to the sciences so what I'm, I'm going to do is to go to the science students and tell them listen it's all good and well that you study all of the science, but do you know the history behind it? There is something like the history of science. Uh, and, and you need to understand how theories, you know, the one built on the other. They didn't just appear out of nowhere. And what I guess is important is to cultivate an appreciation for collective learning. That what we know today is really the sum total of all the knowledge that's been generated in the past and, and how it's packaged today. So I think that disconnect between the two, history and science specifically, uh, if, if we can just get the two sides to reach out to each other a bit more. And um, I, I, I think big history is a good vehicle to do that. Well, definitely, as a scientist, I think you have to look at the history of the science as well to how it got to where it is today. That's why I liked Mungo Man so much. <laughs> yeah. That was my favourite. <laughs> oh, really? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What, what is impressive about each of your podcast episodes is that, you know, they are really like standalone resources history teachers can use in their classes. And I'm definitely going to, I mean, we do the, the Sepoy Rebellion with the, with the grade eight. So we can actually use that podcast as it is, as a resource in, in class. Maybe tell us 
how how it works. As I said earlier, the target audience for my podcast is high school students, and so it is aimed at them. I really wanted to have a standalone resource that, you know, COVID happened, and I wanted teachers to be able to listen, set it as a listening, maybe in an online classroom. And then within the show notes, there are maybe five or six reflection questions that the students can go through or the teacher can go through with the students. I also provide transcripts for all of my episodes. The transcripts have links to difficult words. I use this Collins Learner's Dictionary, which is actually a dictionary for English second language learners, which, you know how sometimes dictionaries make the definition much more confusing than when you just sort of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but the Collins Learners Dictionary is really a simplified definition. So I have gone through and chosen words that I know that kids have struggled with in the past and have links to them so they can hyperlink out and go, oh, what does that mean if they can't work it out in context? Also, because I provide a complete transcript, it sort of works as differentiation for kids who maybe have some issues with listening comprehension. They can listen and read along or they could just read along or just listen, of course. All of that stuff is free. So you can listen to the podcast, you can get the reflection questions, you can get the transcripts with the hyperlink. I also, because you know podcasters are not paid. Um, You really just have a passion for the subject. (laughs) (laughs) So what I've done is I've created comprehensive PowerPoints and worksheets that sort of take those skills a little bit further. They provide source analysis, further research questions. So what these resources do is help me if people can buy those they're not very expensive but they help to pay for my podcasting host and my website host so it's a nice way for people can support the podcast if they want to get a completely prepared lesson and just walk in and go boom there it is they are great um you put in a lot of effort besides the songs that you write and all the quality of research you put into each of these cases is is, is really <laughs> something to see Kelly, where can listeners find you and your History Detective podcast? A couple of places. The first place you could go, I've got just launched a website called historydetectivepodcast.com. It's very easy. So that's got links to all the episodes. But you can also download History Detective in your podcast application like Apple, Spotify. Yeah, so yeah, the website historydetectivepodcast.com or any of your podcatchers and you on twitter as well if listeners want to head over to twitter what is your twitter handle oh yes at history detect and i know you are big on planning so how many cases are you going to solve this year (laughs) well this year i i don't know exactly this year but i know i've planned out the next eight so i've got a whole nother season ready i've got eight songs written i've got eight cases ready to solve i'm also considering doing a little kind of bonus season that doesn't have a song for every episode so that's kind of in the in the thinking procedures it's got to do with money so watch this Mm. space Mrs. Yeah. Kelly Chase on the case. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, it's been it's been an honour to speak to you. Thanks for your time and all of the best for the year. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye.